my dream as a magic player and content producer is to just live with magic forever. All of this just happened. I was like, wow, really? Like, I did not expect any of these. There's a moment that just clicked in my mind that just made me be a super better player after that. Javier also joined the team afterwards. At some point, we had like 15 different countries in like a 15 person team. Spaghetti alla carbonara, pizza, normal pizza, margherita with, uh, with sausages is definitely my favorite. And then gelato. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of Humans of Magic. I'm your host, James Sue. Today, we sit down with the amazing Andrea Mangucci to have a candid conversation about his life of magic. Before we kick things off, I want to give a shout out to our two sponsors. Humans of Magic is sponsored by ChannelFireball.com. If you want the best strategy content on the internet, including videos by Andrea Mangucci, then you'll definitely want to head over to Channel Fireball. Channel Fireball also has some of the best prices on singles, so if you want to get your magic fix, you definitely know where to go. Humans of Magic is also sponsored by Cardboard Live. If you're streaming magic of any kind, whether it's Arena, Magic Online, or even Tabletop at your local store, then you'll definitely want to be using Cardboard Live. It takes your stream and your storytelling of magic events to the next level. To get started, just shoot me an email at james at cardboard.live and we'll get you set up. Last but not least, I want to tell you about my passion project, my labor of love that has finally seen the light of day. It is the Humans of Magic book. The book contains 12 interview transcripts with some of the best minds in magic today. You can find the book on Amazon, where it is available in both paperback and Kindle editions. Just for listeners of this show, I want to give you a special offer. If you want three preview chapters of the book, absolutely free, and be entered into the prize draw, a monthly prize draw to win a free copy of the Humans of Magic book, all you have to do is go to humansofmagic.com. That's humansofmagic.com and join the mailing list. Once you go to the website, there's a link on the left-hand side that says newsletter. Join the newsletter. As soon as you join the newsletter, I will send over two chapters of the Humans of Magic book and a special exclusive unreleased chapter that did not make it into the book, but you also have that absolutely free. Along with that, you will also be entered into the monthly prize draw. See, I've decided that every month I'm going to pick someone who just joined the newsletter that month to win a copy of the book. So if you're the only person that joined that month, then the book is yours. That's the Humans of Magic book. I'm super proud of it. I worked super hard on it, and I hope you will consider picking up a copy. If nothing else, definitely join the Humans of Magic mailing list and you can get more information about the book. Thank you. Okay, that's enough of a preamble. Now we'll get straight into the conversation with Andrea Mangucci. Hello, everybody. Today on Humans and Magic, I am here with a man who needs almost no introduction, but I will do my best to introduce him. He is the Mythic Invitational Champion. He is one of the most well-known members of the MPL. And I'm just going to throw this out here. This is probably something that you don't get introduced by a lot, but I, I would say that you're probably the most well-known legacy player on the planet. So, Andrea Mangucci, how are you doing today, sir? Hello, everybody. I'm doing very well, doing very well. As always, it, it flatters me to be called, uh, you know, most famous legacy player in the world because I'm definitely, I don't see myself as like a best player nearly close to, you know, the various uh, Noah Walker, Javier Dominguez, Bob Wang, or whoever, whoever might come up. But um, definitely, you know, the, the channel Fireball does a very good job at advertising its, its, uh, its player and uh, hope it will do a good job in making my videos. So thank you. 
Well, I would say that you are definitely the most popular because I have friends who don't even play Legacy that watch your videos. So I think I think the popularity is definitely out there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, between all my accomplishments, I still, uh, you know, around the world whenever I play GPs, people still like acknowledge me as a Legacy Legacy video master, not you know MPL uh, and etc. Yeah, but of of course, I mean your achievements recently in highly competitive magic are unprecedented so would you say that that's what you would most want to be known for is being the mythic invitational champion i mean i'm fine with anything honestly i'm just i'm just accepting you know all the popularity that comes out but yeah definitely i'm most i'm i'm the most proud oh by 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 all the achievement but i'm also very proud of my work for china fireball excellent so Andrea, I have so many things I want to talk to you about today, but I thought I would just start off by asking you about tournament success. You've had considerable tournament success in 2019 already. And would you say that it has been your most fulfilling year as a magic professional? I would say that Wizards definitely made so that the professional players are, uh, you know, very happy and very successful this year with the, with the Magic Pro League. Yeah, I mean, this year has been fantastic so far with the Invitational win with the third place at uh, MC uh, Long Beach. Um, and right now sitting in the third place of the MPL standings, one PT before the end. So definitely it looks, looks very, very good this year. Yeah, I mean, it must be feeling really good to be effectively locked for the next season, right? Because I know that some of your friends and other members of the MPL or people trying to get into MPL, they have a little bit of it's it's more of a challenge for them, but I think for you, you're riding pretty high, right? Yeah, I would say I'm basically locked for the next year. It's a top 20, but what I'm looking for, what I'm aiming for is to qualify for awards, which only the top four non-already qualified people do. So the non-Avier Dominguez, Jean-Mundo de Pra, and Autumn Brochet, everyone else has to fight for the top four MPL to, to qualify for awards. And that's, and that's what I try to do in the next uh, MC Long Beach. Would you say that that's the one last thing on your bucket list that you're hungry to achieve? Or are there other things in addition to that as well? No, exactly, exactly. That's what I had in mind since the beginning of the year to qualify for words. Excellent. What I always like to do with my guests is to get into their backstories. So could you start off by just introducing to the listeners where physically you're at today? I am in uh, my room that I grew up in, same uh, same uh, same house. Uh, it's in Senigallia, Italy. It's a pretty small small city that I love. I live with my parents, you know, despite all the success and money that come with magic, I still decide to live with my parents. Um, Italian uh, culture doesn't really see, you know, moving out before, I don't know, starting a family or just uh, moving out because of like job, um, you know, in different cities or studying in a different town and everything. I just enjoy a lot, you know, both both of my parents are great people. So I wouldn't really want to move at any point. And uh, I mean, at, at some point, at any point now, uh, at some point, definitely. But right now, uh, I'm just I'm just living my I'm just living my best life, you know, in my room, streaming in the morning, playing magic in the afternoon, hanging out with my with my girlfriend and my friends in the, in the, in the evening. So tell me a little bit more about your your hometown. I mean, what is it like for those who have never visited before? I know you had mentioned that it's relatively small, but just describe it for us. I'm very very proud of my town. My, my, my city is a is a touristic city. In the in summer, it's very popular. A lot of people go, you know, from around Italy or even around Europe uh, to visit because it's on the beach and uh, it's very nice. You know, it's a sand beach, very very pretty. Also, like the whole town is like. Basically, all made for tourism. Um, I've had friends over uh, in the past uh, in the past years, and uh, you know they they all loved it. It's, it basically embodies uh, all the great things of Italy. I would say it has uh, you know culture, it has uh, great restaurants, it has a uh, good weather and everything. Is there a go-to restaurant that you take your friends or out-of-town visitors whenever they are in town? Yeah, since Senegal is very popular for its restaurants, there are two five-star. Actually, I don't know the, the star thing, how it does work, but definitely two very renowned uh, renowned restaurants. But what I like the most isn't really the, you know, super expensive restaurant. It's more like the the, um, the so-called trattoria in Italian. It's like home um, house restaurant. How do you say that? Family restaurant, but like super, super cool. 
And I understand that you are also, you know how to make a dish or two. So I'm assuming that you also once in a while will make food for your friends or prepare things at home, right? All right, this is, this is the legend that I need to I need to dispel. So there's uh, there's Meguchi cuisine. Most people might have known it if they follow me on Twitter at, at Megu9 or on Instagram. But Meguchi cuisine is was born. It was born because of my father. Because my father is a great cook. You know, my father isn't a cook. My father is a lawyer, but he has a passion of cooking. And he started like cooking all these like good dishes back in the days. And I was like, you know, I have like this Twitter account, and uh, you know, I have some friends that live in America that might don't really know you know all these like great food that we get in so let's just take some picture of those and this starting just becoming the hashtag Meguchi cuisine that, that you see now that uh, is very it's pretty popular i would say but and people start thinking that i am a cook or stuff like that but truth be told i don't really know how to cook very well i'm just i'm just here enjoying all the food that, that you know get, get given to me you know good food you enjoy it when it enters your mouth you know what to look for but that's that's the Exactly. Manguchi cuisine is to taste. It's to taste. I think Manguchi cuisine might be the most well-known magic-related hashtag since it was created. I don't know if you agree with that or not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. know. It's definitely something that that I'm happy with and also joke about whenever I travel. Because we're on this topic right now, what would you say is your all-time favorite food or dish? Like, Can you describe it for us? All right. In, uh, in in stream during the stream, I get I get answered this uh, I get asked this question a lot, and usually I, I answer spaghetti alla carbonara and uh, pizza, pizza normal pizza margherita with uh, with sausages is definitely my favorite, and then gelato. My favorite gelato is stracciatella e cioccolato fondente, and these three I think are like my tier one uh, my tier one dishes for sure. I've seen you post on social of all these three things so i definitely believe you and do you have any idea how it is that these became your favorite foods was it just being approached with this stuff when you were since you were very little or was it something else carbonara spaghetti carbonara my father makes them very very well my father is like really good at it it's like most of the times when we go to a restaurant you know they're, they're, they'll, they'll be worse than my father's Whereas for pizza and gelato, of course, you can't make homemade, or if you do, it's just going to be like incredibly worse than, you know, a proper oven or I don't even know how to make a gelato, honestly. But <laughs> So I would say that those pizza gelato are just very popular in Italy. So you're just take that, you know, let's say once per week. But carbonara is definitely something special that is kind of unique. On the topic of your family, can you tell me a little bit about your parents, because you mentioned your father's a lawyer, but would you? Can you tell me a little bit more about them, what they're like, and what it was like growing up with them? My my mother is a school teacher, elementary school teacher, but uh, recently, I would say since uh, 2010, 2009, she's got engaged in the Ita- uh, sorry, uh, the the politician, the politic of my town. She is. Um, Minister, Minister of Tourism. I don't know if uh, I know what's the grades in other in other what what are the levels of uh, of politics in other in other town. But that is what what my mom does in in Senigallia for a pretty long time at this point. You know, uh, whereas my father is uh, a lawyer. You know, again, both of them work in my town, so they lived with me, you know, forever and <laughs> still still live with them. And every day we always have like you know lunch together, dinner together. It's just a very friendly, very friendly environment, and they're great. That sounds great. What kind of personality traits do you think you've sort of picked up from your mom's side or from your dad's side? How would you describe yourself as a maybe a composition of them? I would say that none of them is really attracted to cards. In fact, whenever they whenever they play cards with their friends, they always get joked about because they're very bad and like you didn't take you know anything from your from your son or you know that's like the common joke. But my, 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 my grandmother, who, who passed away at this point pretty long time ago, where we I just played with her cards the whole time. She was, you know, she she, she loved played cards and uh, I was played the cards with her the whole time. And uh, that's always a suggestion that I do to like every every new parent. I always tell them to just play cards with their kid because I think that I just became like good at math and that, you know, good at magic. Probably also because I was just playing with cards with my grandmother the whole time. Was that your earliest experience was playing cards? I mean, in terms of gaming, did it start with the traditional 
52 cards or was it something else? Yeah, I mean, with my, with my grandmother, we're playing Scala Quaranta, which is, I don't know how to describe that in, in, in English, but it's like, a, you know, 52 cards, I guess double, the, double the deck of 52. But I also uh, played uh, a bridge. I played bridge for uh, for some years as um, when I was uh, maybe 18, 17, 19, I used to, I played in the nationals of uh, young, I don't know what to call that, young, uh, just, just, just young people nationals, and I came two times in second place. So it's de de definitely I've always been attracted to the professional aspect of, of of any gaming. Wow, I had no idea. That's really high level bridge. So how did you get into bridge initially and make it into a like a real competitive activity for you? My 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 uncle, my uncle introduced me to the game, and then bridge as like this this sort of like cool thing where whenever you make your let's say DCI card, you know your card, you can play the first three years only against players that are also new to the game, okay? So it kind of just has like these three years where you can just be safe, you know, you can't play against the monster or stuff like that, which doesn't happen in match. But also Bridge is a game without luck. So whenever you get playing, appeared against a monster, it's pretty hard for a newcomer. Whereas in Magic, you know, everybody can, can win every game. In Magic, you're sometimes just thrown, no, I mean, you always are thrown to the deep end because you, you start off by losing a lot until you get better. And it sounds like bridge has a natural ladder aspect to it. That's what it sounds like to me, right? Yeah, at the beginning, at the beginning, for the first three years, you just play with the same people at your own level. So whenever I had the, whenever I went for nationals, I went to my you know second nationals and sorry second year nationals and third year nationals of this beginning. And then once that like three year uh, three year period was over, you know it was kind of impossible. I th I felt I felt like I was just thrown in the in the water with sharks, you know? And that's also when I kind of quit. Mm, okay, so it's, it's sort of hard to scale up at that point. Is this related at all to how you found magic? Maybe tell me about how you discovered magic for the first time. It's kind of related, I would say, yes. So, I mean, I, I played magic since I was like a very young kid because that's what, you know, most 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 kids do. It was, I think it was 2004 when my first pack had the Isamaru Hondo of Konda in it. So I was just, you know, a little kid playing at the beach. Usually we're playing Magic only only in the summer between uh, a bath and another, between a game of, uh, I don't know what, soccer tennis or just beach, uh, beach volley, stuff like that. We're just playing cards when, whenever we were tired. Uh, some Magic, but also, you know, some, some also regular card. And it was basically a game only for summer. But then, uh, yeah, then I just got into some like PTQ system and everything. But then Bridge came and Magic was like set apart. And then like that the, the three year period Bridge, um, you know, arrived and it was a set apart Bridge to just take back Magic. It was, you know, a take and go. So I'm really curious about that because I would have to assume that in places in Europe, it may not be so popular. Was Magic just something that all the kids played or like, I'm just curious how you even found it. Like, was it a friend that introduced you? Was it your parents or was it somebody else? My my town, but in general, my area doesn't have any store. Has never had any store. Uh, we were just playing cards at the beach once again. Like, we didn't even know the rules very well, the formats very well. Um, the first time that I, you know, went to like a PTQ or stuff like that was 2008. So, but again, very, very like friendly level and like things like that. But I would say that, uh, that yeah, Magic was this like friendly game until then I, you know, played my, my, my first Pro Tours and uh, starting just like was, well, was older enough to just be able to travel, to take a train in some places to go to, to PDQs and etc. Was it weird to travel for Magic? Because I would imagine for someone that starts playing magic for fun like you said maybe during the summer how did you transition that into becoming like super serious about okay i'm going to go to the ptq and and things like that i mean you just go i mean it's not that you go to a ptq is super serious i mean it's still like pretty friendly level i mean ma magic at the end of the day so what i what i try to make people understand the whole time is that it's usually a mistake to go super serious on magic because sure, you know, some people like me live off with magic and like make a lot of money with magic. But uh, at the end of the day, magic is a game for fun. So if you start getting super serious about it, you just lose the main aspect of the game, which is just having fun with your friends. So if you go to a PTQ, if you go to a GP, you still have to be 
not super serious, but still friendly, so that if you lose, you're still gonna be happy for the experience you've played. It's just basically in a holiday, you know, with a card game. That's a really good mindset. And can you recall maybe some of the earliest relationships that you had players or friends? Maybe, were there certain people that helped you get better at the game? Definitely, definitely. The person that introduced me to Magic uh, is now still a person that I hang out with sometimes. We play vintage together. He only plays vintage right now. But then there's like other people who introduced me to like the PTQ system and like drive me around when I was too young and everything that right now I just lost. Uh, I lost um, contact with. But, you know, sometimes they still write to me whenever, you know, I have some success and they're still happy for my success. But they still they don't play magic anymore or stuff like that. And because, Andrea, you're such a accomplished and high-level player now, it's just really interesting to me if you go back to that time. Was there something about, I know you talked about having fun, but was there something about you and Magic that just made it feel like it was a natural fit or you just knew that you were just really good at this game and better than the average person that you were playing against? Like, was there something, was there a realization moment for you at some point? Now that you ask me, I'm just thinking about it. I don't think so. I think that I've always embraced Magic as a friendly game and uh, for fun game. And, uh, you know, it happened that I was qualified for, you know, big events and stuff like that. And uh, I, I tried my best, but I think, I mean, right now, definitely not. Like, I don't get disappointed if I just, for example, uh, I just returned uh, yesterday from MC Richmond where I went 2-5. and five. At this point in my career, it's okay. I, I don't take I don't take losses like that, like too badly. You know, some people might be super disappointed because they maybe you know try their best to qualify, qualified and then did badly. But I would say that that aspect of the game, that mindset, is what ruins uh, not only the player but also just the enjoyment of magic. I've always taken magic as like you know, I don't know if I've always taken that, but definitely right now, right now my mindset is always like. I've had a good time, I've had a good experience and everything. Would you say that when you were younger, it was very different, that you were very focused on the results? Probably. I mean, right now I don't remember, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I wanted to qualify for the PT badly or I wanted to, I don't know, top eight. Actually, the funny thing is that my first PT top eight really arrived at random. Like, you know, it was just not expected at all, you know? It was just, it was back in the... 2014 PT Jordan to Knicks, and uh, you might remember the King of the Hill run. That was just something totally unexpected. All right, I was I didn't I never like did anything, and I didn't spike anything in my life. So that was just like wow, you know. And since that happened, so you know, pretty randomly, I kind of just accepted everything that was happening after that. You know, starting to write for Channel Fireball, keep on doing well, qualifying for World Magic Cup, you know, winning the World Magic Cup. That happened 2015 all of this just happened i was like wow really like i did not expect any of these so it sounds like you've just been very happy with the way things turned out and just sort of uh, enjoyed the ride exactly because i was never a magic professional player until now i've always been a student i don't know if we've mentioned it or, uh, at this point but i went uh, five years uh, sorry six years uh, in university in Bologna, where I studied law, and I have a degree in law right now. So I was basically a student that in its free time was just playing magic. That's really amazing, because it just sounds to me like your story is very unique, because oftentimes I hear about the grinders or the people who are now in the MPL or whatever, they seem to have been 100% focused on magic. But it sounds like for you, it wasn't really the case like you were maybe you're underselling it but it sounds like you were just having fun and you you spiked an event and you just kept on after that is that fair i would say that again italian culture means that you can't really just leave and play magic after you finish high school you have to go to university you know it's not like it's i mean not that you have to but like my family and also me, I wanted to go to university because, I mean, what else what, what else would I do, you know? So I just started university. I, I chose law because my father was a lawyer and because I was pretty good at school. So I'm like, you know, sure, it seems like a good career to do. But then, you know, things happened and I ended up on the third year to be, you know, platinum and like stuff like that. So I'm kind of like, maybe I should quit or so. But then I decided to continue and, you know, I ended up, I ended up 
uh, having a degree and also you know being everything else in magic yeah it's always hard to to trace back in time but i would love to know if you felt like you made any adjustments to your game that allowed you to actually not only spike a gpu or ptq but also stay on the train or or become platinum and stay on it can you think about specific methodology or techniques that you you adopted as a player that might have enabled you to be successful definitely definitely there's a moment that just clicked in my mind that just made me be a super better player after that it's when i actually don't remember exactly when it was but like i rem i just realized that luck wasn't a factor to consider at any point anymore so since i completely at some point i completely shut off luck from the uh from the factors that made into a defeat or made me into like you know even like a play or stuff like that. I just become a way better player. Every time I was losing a game or an important game, I was always focusing on what should have done better. And I still do it now on my stream. If you see my stream, whenever I lose games that had something weird happen, I'm like, what did it happen? Like, sure, you know, my opponent maybe top decked, okay? But before that, or could I have avoided that top deck? It's just whenever I realized that luck was a factor that both of the player had in common, I started like taking that away and just my mindset completely shut off. Maybe I wasn't enjoying any more victory as before because, you know, once you take out luck off the system, the game kind of becomes more like method, method, methodic, I would say. It's basically like, for example, poker players, right? I've never played poker, but what I know, I know very little, is that they have like system that doesn't matter if you just get unlucky their hand. If you make their system over and over and over, at the end, you're gonna, you know, net, net some money. And, and that's, Kind of what I was trying to do. I was just trying to take the luck away. And, uh, you know, despite it's basically very hard in Magic because you have a way less big sample size than, than like, you can play on poker. But then again, I'm keep on mentioning poker, but, like, without any any reason because I've never, I never played poker in my life. No, you're right, though, because I've never been a super high-level poker player, but I played a little bit. And you're totally right. It's there's a lot of luck, and I think there's a joke in poker. You know, when someone's really salty, they say, "I would be the best poker player in the world if it wasn't for luck." You know, so <laughs> I, th I think there's some similarities there. Is that you have to look at the game of Magic in one particular lens, and that that will help you become more successful, right? Exactly, exactly. If you're putting top decks, you know. There's nothing you can do about it. It happened. Like same thing could have happened to you, or if you get mono screwed or something. And like. All this like negative aspect just 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 touch your mind in a bad way. Whereas if you just stay strong and don't get touched by these, you only think about you know maybe if you would have had one more land in your deck building or stuff like that. I I very often say that I'm a very result oriented player in testing. You know if a thing happened in testing, I'm not gonna be like oh you know low sample size. I'm kind of I kind of always hate that 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 discussion about the low sample size. I am a player that's result oriented. So if we practice and something happens, I'm going to be like, ooh, this happened. You know, we need to figure this out. We need to point this out. Got it. Was there something about your bridge background that may have helped you think about magic in this way? Because I understand bridge is a completely deterministic game, right? There's no luck in bridge. Yeah, now that, now that you say it, probably, probably that's, probably that's where that's where it all came from. Bridge is a game where... Uh, Cards are deal, and they're deal in the same ways for all the table. So yeah, you know, for for all the room. So yeah, like in that particular hand, you might play, um, you know, you might play with odds that are not uh, expected, but that's gonna happen the same for every other player in the room. So you're just used to it. You know, if if an unexpected fight happen, you'll be like, okay, that's fine. It's gonna happen the same for other players, and that's the same in Magic. You know, if in one game you get mana screwed and like you lose. Uh, you know, and then other people, other people in the room will also get minus good and lose. So it's, it's, yeah, it, it might have been bridge. And I know that it's a very mature attitude and all the high level pros such as yourself think about there being, don't think about luck, think about what you could do differently that you can control. But was there some event that triggered this? Like, did you hit some kind of uh bad point or challenging point in your career? Was it like advice from a friend? Like, how did you come to this realization? I think it was the first time that a team with like a proper team. Uh, it might have been PT Portland in, uh, what was it? 2014, maybe. It was after my after my top eight in Journey to Next. 
where I had like a proper team. And I think there is where I just uh, I just learned about uh, about like this this mindset. And coming up in your Magic career, can you talk about some of the players who you think have really helped you level up your game? I mean, the first pro that I ever met and then like introduced me into like any other pro was was Christian Calcano. Christian Calcano is, uh, you know, one of the most friendly player in like the whole Magic, probably history, like everyone love Calc and everyone, you always, when that, during the PTs, you always see Calc talking to like everybody, everybody, everybody's talking with him and he just enjoys talking with them. So I was one of the, one of the kids that just saw him, you know, Calc was, was a popular player back then. He taught with GPs and such. So he just started to talk with me despite not only I was speaking in English very badly, but also like I was just... Would you say that your English was not as good as it is now? Oh yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure. You, you, you can go back and watch my like first legacy videos, which also also happened like, I don't know when, but like maybe, maybe four years ago. But my English when I was a 16, it might've been like awful, I'm pretty sure. Actually, there's like this interview, this interview that, that shows up in the, in the subscription meme that I have uh, of my PT journey into Knicks where my English is like, it's pretty bad. But I mean, it's not that I was just bad. It's just that school in Italy, it's good. It's okay. You know, you, you, you learn things, but you don't learn how to speak English fluently like I am, like I'm doing right now. Definitely the traveling and just having, uh, having like team partners, uh, Americans or English speaker and just like working with Channel Fireball, streaming and everything just, just helped improving my English over and over. So going back to Calcano, you had the first meeting with him and did you guys just become friends right away? Like how did that process go for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I was just amazed by, you know, talking to a pro. So I just kept staying with him and everything. And he just, uh, it's okay. Like he introduced me into other friends and everything. And that's where, and that's where I met Mike Sigrist. That's where I met Mike Sigrist. And, uh, and, and, you know, when I qualified for that PT in Atlanta, 2014, journey to next block, I asked him, can I just, you know, stay with you and like your, your testing group, even though I was just, you know, again, this, uh, this, uh, 20, 21 years old, uh, guy that just didn't speak English very well, but I just, I just enjoyed staying with them. And then that's where, you know, my, 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 my first PT came. And then from there, I've met like every kind of like great person that, made my magic career better ben friedman uh, javier dominguez lishi tien and i'm sure i'm missing many and then of course the house of channel fireball that that stayed with me for the last uh, basically all my competitive career right let's start with calcano what kind of things did you learn from him calc is the draft master calc is uh, it's insane like Cal calc's mindset is totally new to everybody he sees limited in a different ways for example auras right auras are just despised by everybody I, I hate auras like i would never play a two minus plus two plus two in my deck but Kalk was just this player who you know if some formats didn't have that many bounce spell or removal spell pretty expensive it was just going all in in auras and uh or like rebels of Ixalan. and and you know the this auras deck is where my second top eight came in shadows of arena strat was like this this aura red plus two plus two that i was just drafting and you know i made a I mean, top eight at the PT drafting two times Calc's strategy. And then the other, the third PT top eight that I had, once again, is is, is thanks to Calc's strategy. It's with the Suncrest Pterodon. It's like this flyer in a format where flying wasn't really popular. So there's just like this white flyer and they were just splashing in every, in every color because it was just super good. I would say that Calc's prowess is definitely drafting and uh, and uh, he has made me a way better player because of uh, because of that. As a professional player, you have to draft because PTs is a Pro Tours are a split format. Last year, 2018, I I was set, I finished second place in the Draft Master race. Not because I mean it was a great drafter. I would say because I I kind of identified some draft strategies that I liked and I think were very successful. Once again, you know, going back to Ixalan, just the flyers and stuff like that, and uh, you know that was pretty good for me. I won a couple of PTQs limited. And in my first PT, PT Atlanta, I went six and zero in draft. This doesn't mean that I am a draft master or anything, but I definitely, you know, enjoy draft. We we draft pretty much. We draft very often here in my in my in my community because I just get packs off of GPs and then I just uh, draft for like you know five euros or six euros and stuff like that because you know I just sometimes keep the cards, sometimes I really don't care and I want to draft to, to practice. I also love cube. We, we 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 cube draft a lot and that also just opens opens the mind very much. 
right on. Going down the list, what about Mr. Mike Segrist? Like, what would you say are some of the key things that you learned from him or picked up from him? Siggy, we, 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 I talk to Siggy even to this day. We, we talk very often. We are not teammates, but we still like genuinely just, just happy talk about what we do. You know, for example, he just told me it's like MPL, MPL split games and uh, you know discuss the strategy once again this is pretty strange because very often in magic you have teams right for example my team is like i don't know Javier Dominguez, anthony lili shikian and we just talk each other about strategy and etc but it's pretty strange that you talk to some uh, some other teammates but with siggy we're still friends like that just kind of goes over the you know teammates and such what did you learn from him once again Siggy is another limited master uh, when I when I practiced for MC Richmond, what I did was just watching his streams. So I don't have specific situations like the one for Calc, but again, Siggy's help in draft is uh, something that uh, something that I I, I I still to these days uh, bring with me. That's awesome. Sounds like you have something that many of the high level players do, which is you have a great network. You're able to get these ideas and inspirations, and I'm sure you contribute quite a bit on the other end as well. So that's that's great to hear. Talk about a lot about my limited you no know, help, but the constructed help on the other side come from mainly Lishitien and Javier, Javier Dominguez. Both of them are like incredibly good player and very good deck builder, you know, deck tuner, and then just uh, you know, their help is definitely is definitely very very important. Also Marcio, Marcio, I forgot the name, Marcio Carvalho, who helped me building the the band, the band uh, food that I came in third place with in uh, MC Long Beach. Yeah, can you talk a bit about how you guys initially met? Let's start off with Lee, right? How did you guys meet and what were the circumstances? My my career, I've changed the team very, very often. And there was a point in my career where I didn't have a team and I was looking for a team. And uh, same thing, uh, so I asked Calc because Calc, once again, is like my, you know, a long time friend or things like that. And he also happened to just have like, his team also happened to be dismantled. So we're like, you know, let's just let's just hang out together. And uh, in the meanwhile, he asked Saito, who was uh, together with Li Shitian in a brand new theme, MTG Mint card. And so we kind of like, we, we, I just got introduced into this group of uh, mainly Asian players. Not only there was Saito from Japan, Li Shitian from Hong Kong, but also so many people from the APAC region. There was Australians, New Zealandese, Taiwanese, Singaporean, Koreans. It was very, very new to my, to my network because, you know, I was just an European player that got to hang out with many Americans, but not really to, you know, Asian players. So it was it was great. And like Li Shitian and all the Epoch players just helped me a lot and uh, was very, were very welcoming. Once again, the English, the, the language barrier not only came from my side, but also from their side, but we still like got to hang out together. Javier also joined the team afterwards. Other people from Denmark, France. It was just a melt pot of regions. At, that, at some point, we had like 15 different countries in like a 15-person team. That's really awesome. I mean, that's what Magic is about, right? The global nature of the game. What are some things that you learned from Li Shitian in terms of maybe how to approach the game? Shitian is uh, still to these days, you know, amazes me by Li Shitian is the fact that he doesn't practice too much. He just uh, not all the goldfish magic but just imagines magic you know he just thinks about it and he thinks that properly like it's not that he doesn't practice so he loses you know he doesn't practice too much because he has a lot of things going on right now you might have heard about the hong kong uh, protest and he's definitely in the middle of it and uh, the fact that he can still be top five mpl standings and despite Everything that he has is definitely an incredible testament of how good of a player he is. And uh, his help is, you know, to this day is very, very important for me. So he's really good at visualizing or conceptualizing situations. Do you think that's because he already has a lot of reps in Magic? It sounds crazy good. I'm just wondering how he does it. I mean, Shiten is a super accomplished player for the time he has been around. Sure, he's, a, he's an all-famer, but he also started uh, the PTs, you know, not that long ago, just like other all famers. He's, he has the longest day two streak uh, active right now uh, with 22, 24 day two at PTs. So he's definitely a player that's like incredibly powerful, incredibly good. Like, like whenever, whenever I see, you know, you know, Javier or other players just testing the whole day, I can't imagine what Li Shitian could do if he would test the whole day. I think that 
is is incredible how much he can manage to just understand both in limited and in constructed despite all things that go on it sounds like he's just super consistent you have to be super consistent and uh, solid to have that streak right exactly you know you remember when i saw when i talk about like the uh, for example we was i mean shitian is also a super funny person we always joke about him and with him we're like and, and and we say that he's uh, he's the champion of 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 mediocrity, which of course it isn't true because of five petito pates. But like this year, for example, he went four time X and six at paper PT, which is a good record because to go ten and six, you know, at paper PT, you have to do you have to do you know well. For example, if you look at my results, I went twelve four, eleven five, and then one five and two five, you know, in my four PTs because I just Two times I did very well, two times I did very bad. While Shitian was just consistent in his, you know, 10 and 6. So it's just, it's just kind of funny, but also just shows how, like, he's a great player. And uh, I just uh, hope to hang around with him for longer since his read on the meta game are, I think, to this day the best. It's an interesting question because I've talked to players who actually came up with this hypothetical question. They said, would you accept going 10-6 at every PT? for the rest of your life. If you could do that, would you take it? And I think most people that I talked to, they actually said they would prefer that to actually top eighting a PT. No, I, I definitely would never take that. <laughs> never. Yeah. I mean, I see 10-6. 10-6 is probably a good result. Like, I'm happy if I go home with a 10-6, but I'm not, like, you know, too proud of myself. And that, <laughs> yeah. that's what I live for. I live for being, like, the, the first place. When you blow the candles on a cake, you don't dream about a 10-6. You want to be first. And, you know, I just always want to be first. Yeah, you have the trophy in your room that I see sometimes on the stream. That's, you don't get that with the 10-6, right? <laughs> you know, you might, like, at the end of the day, what I always tell to Javier is that my dream as a Magic player and content producer is to just live with Magic forever. You know, live off of, of Magic forever. Like, I want to be, I don't know, six years old and still play Magic and make Magic content. And that, with a 10-6 forever, can achieve it. But on the other hand, I might just be, you know, little... I might just miss out on achievements. You mentioned Javier. I mean, let's get to him because he is, he's one of your best friends, right? Would you say that's a fair statement? He's definitely one of my best, yeah, magic-related friends for sure. For sure. Tell me about how you guys started and hit it off. I mean, you know, you guys are from different countries and you were at the same team at one point. How did that friendship blossom? Yeah, the, the, I told you before about the MTG Mint Card team. Uh, so that team, I, I, I arrived during PT Madrid, and funny enough, it's a PT where I finished second. And and then, like, uh, after some PT, he, 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 asked, he asked Kalk once again. You see, Kalk is, like, this Kalk's center. Like right in the middle, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, center with, like, everybody knowing him. He's friend with everybody. It's kind of impressive that he's friend with everybody. I just love him for that. I, I don't think I could do that, you know, but... So, Javier asked Kalk, you know, if we could uh, we could have find a home for a year and uh, and he, yeah i mean he started off with uh, pt hawaii kaladesh and then we liked him because he was like you know a, a workhorse he just plays a lot and uh, and and from there we just always tested together until now what is something about javier that people may not know i mean javier plays every day every day every moment it's it's incredible like people People think that I play the whole time and play a lot. Oh yeah, you're streaming every day. Yeah, play you play a lot. I play a lot, but you don't know Javier. Like it really is always. I don't know if there's a, let's say this weekend there's a Mox Pioneer. He's gonna play Magic Online the whole day. If there's a I don't know the next week there's a PT Standard. He's gonna play Standard. You know, twenty four seven. It's it's definitely the, his success is incredible this year. But that's because he's by far the player in the world that plays the most Magic right now. Would you say that he's the one person that you know that plays more than you? I do play a lot of Magic, but that's because I love Magic, so I play Magic for fun as well. But I hope Javier also plays for fun, but it's just also like, you know, his dedication and his job, and he wants to succeed. Right. And how do you make playing Magic seem fun? I, I think if you play enough games, for a lot of people, it can just feel more like work, right? You're trying to figure out the matchup, or you're trying to figure out something about this card. How do you keep it fun for yourself? I mean, magic is fun, so it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to have fun with the game. Like even the Sultayoko Mirror in testing for MC Richmond, you still have like crazy complicated game and like super cool game. And I have fun to just have a good game and win and try to and try my best to win. Also, 
Magic is a game with different formats, and I play basically every format. So if I practice standard, then I can't wait now to go play a popper event because you know I've never played popper. Or you don't know, for example, this Saturday and and this Sunday, I'm gonna go to a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, he's a store owner. He lives like an hour away from here. So sometimes I just I just go on Saturday evening. He has a modern event, and then on Saturday night we stay together, probably on a cube that we sleep. And then on Sunday there's a pioneer event, and I just can't wait for that because it's just format that I never play. So you know, it's just it's just great, and I can't wait. It sounds like you really enjoy the variety of the game. Maybe that's why it's always fresh for you, right? Exactly, exactly. Magic is so many formats that is impossible to be boring and maybe you know let's say standard is better right now and uh, some people go like oh you know i don't want to play standard and everything sure you know even arena you have like brawl you have stand you have draft and everything there's just so many different formats that you just you can just enjoy yeah about the other formats i love to talk about that a little bit legacy you've been doing legacy videos for a very long time we had just talked about how you are probably one of the most well-known players in the format because of the reach and the, the videos. Can you tell me a bit about why you love Legacy so much? So my area, as I said, doesn't have a store. So there's just a bunch of players. And as it happens often, you don't play the most recent format like Standard or Modern. But they just everybody only plays Legacy. Some people still play Vintage. And... Uh, I was born in an environment where everybody played Legacy, so I just played Legacy since the beginning. And then, you know, I became a professional player and everything else. I started playing like Draft and 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 uh, and, and Standard, but mainly, you know, all the Thursday, some some Sundays, I still had some local Legacy event. And uh, again, Legacy is the best format, so it's natural that you love it. So. <laughs> I think I remember seeing something on your social where you were supposed to be testing for an MC. It might have been just Richmond that happened, and you went and played in a legacy event. Is that true? No, I remember one time. One time we during PT Kyoto. Um, I never, I never went to Aruya before, and this store is like amazing. And I was just, uh, it w we were just supposed to have, uh, you know, some, 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 some fun in Kyoto before going to, sorry, in Tokyo, sorry, in Tokyo before going to Kyoto to practice. Instead, I just went to the store and played Legacy each three hours. There was a tournament. I just loved it. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an amazing store. I've had a chance to, to visit as well. It's probably one of the best stores in the world, I would think, right? I don't know if you agree with that. Another store that was like super, super, super good that I loved was the one in Seattle. I think it was called Mox. Uh, Mox something, Mox boarding game. Mox boarding games. house. Yes, they have the they have the cafe in it as well. Yeah, but I've never I've never been to Channel Farble Warehouse, so that's that. That's <laughs> <laughs> I don't want I don't want to. Hey, I'm I'm also sponsored by Channel Farble. I can tell you, it's not as nice as Mox boarding house. So I think I think Mox might be the best store in the country uh, of the U.S. <laughs> but don't don't. I mean, I, you, you didn't say it. that. You I said it. it. I yeah, I said it, not you. <laughs> The other format that you had mentioned that you love playing is Vintage Cube. How did you start doing this? Was this also something that was just in your local community with your friends? You just you just kept going with it? Or how did that come about? Yeah, we had a proxy cube that we were sometimes playing and we just had fun. Also, you know, what triggered it, I think, was like some years ago in Christmas, there's like the, the Vintage Cube online. We were just gathering at my home to play on the computer. And then we decided that we might have just had like six people in my room all playing, you know, on Magic Online with just one account, just playing all together. Uh, we decided then that it was maybe worth it to just proxy it in paper and just start to play it. And then once it was dead, we decided to just make it, I decided to make it real with real cards and then I decided to make it foil. <laughs> right. And I saw recently that you have, you've always been acquiring, but you recently also acquired quite some nice cards for for your collection, right? Some of the really old school cards. Definitely, definitely. I, I promised it during the Mythic Invitational win interview. And I, you know, I finally trying to, trying to achieve my, 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 my beta power nine. Excellent. And how do you feel about these formats in the grand scheme of magic? I, obviously you, you enjoy playing them and that's the most important thing. I mean, how do you think about these formats, like compared to, you know, the history of the game or what's going on today? I just love to cast powerful cards. I love to cast Black Lotus and like Paradoxical Outcome for five moxes and just replaying them is just something that you can't do any other format. Just turn one win is something like 
incredible, right? And uh, I'm gonna go to Paris uh, the the twenty the nineteenth of December to play the Eternal Weekend uh, to play Vintage, and that's definitely something that not many professional players do, but I but I do enjoy playing with Vintage sometimes. That's awesome. And Andrea, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about something that's been such a huge part of your life for so long, and that's really the content creation side. You've been part of Channel Fireball for a very long time. It's been, what, five years or so? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, after my, my, my PT Top 8 in, in, in Atlanta, Journey to Knicks, I wrote a Facebook message to Ray Duke asking him if I you know could write a report for Channel Fireball. And he was kind enough to send me to Andy Cooper Fav, which is, you know, the right now fuck totum of the, of the of the channel. And then he said yes. And then I made my report. They liked it a lot. And then I started writing one time per month. Then I start writing one time per week. And I started doing legacy videos. And here I am. The thing that I love about your content is that you have a very good interaction with the... Well, first of all, I think you're a good writer and you're good at expressing your ideas. But also now when you're doing the videos and you're doing the streams, you have a very good interaction with your fans or the viewers. It's always feels entertaining. It feels natural. It's not forced. I'm wondering how you develop this sort of interaction with people. Was it all like kind of just natural or did you have to learn that as you go somehow? No, it was definitely all natural. Yeah. I mean, I did never, I never like, you know, did practice or went to school or something like that. I, I'm just a person very friendly, I would say. I just uh, engage with like most, almost everybody that just wants to talk to me. And uh, streaming is perfect because I'm just here in this chair, you know, playing the playing a card game. That'd be pretty boring if it wasn't for chat, just you know, asking questions and interact with me. So what I do is just uh, I entertain myself and entertain you know a thousand other people, and uh, that's that's the thing that just makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like you're a natural, for lack of a better term, you're a natural entertainer. And that's really, that's really great to see whenever I drop into one of your streams. And so you're basically saying it's all natural, like it was not something that you had to learn, right? Yeah, I think so. For, for example, I just want to point, out, point this out, uh, testing, right? Whenever I test for events, there's not a single chance that I play on my own. Like if I'm playing on the computer, I, I'm gonna be Google Hangout or Skyping with some friends and we're just talking about my game or talking about his game and I just bird, you know? Or we just play each other so that we talk in the meanwhile. I'm not gonna be, once again, just referring to Javier. I am just totally different than Javier. I, I can't just sit and play without talking to anybody. I just can't do that. You seem like a more social person. Like you have to interact with somebody when you're, even when you're play testing, right? Basically always, I don't know, maybe I'm just afraid of being alone or stuff like that. But for example, let's say after this podcast, after I finish recording the podcast, I, you know, I just have nothing to do because there is a band list next Monday and there's no real point to play any formats. I'm just going to play for fun things, but I'm not just going to play, I don't know, an arena draft or a magic online draft. I'm just going to call my friends and be like, hey, you know, what are you doing? And uh, we gather, either, we, either I bring decks because I just bring decks for everybody. Or we just play online together. Yeah, that's that's really good. You're like the opposite of a lot of players who would rather just stay at home and play with themselves and 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 draft against the computer. You know. <laughs> yeah. For 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 example, for the arena PT, I just build decks in real life and play with my friends because I just not a fan of like playing a computer. So going back a bit to the content creation aspect, which is more around the articles and videos, you have done so many great content over the years. I'm wondering, let's start off with what are some things that you learned about it? Or what are some things that you found out through making the content that didn't quite work for you? I mean, first thing first is the language, the accent, things like that. I think my, I think, I mean, if I would watch a video of, uh, I don't know, a German person talking in Italian, it would be strange, you know, I might not even like it. So I think just speaking slightly better through the years definitely helped my, you know, my content, let's say. 
granted that Americans or just English speakers are more used to people speaking English not naturally, let's say. Whereas maybe for me, it's just harder because there's not that many people that talk Italian that are not Italian, let's say. Okay, so so getting better at the language over time, like it's just communicating better definitely helped the content, right? Definitely. Like when I was saying miracle instead of miracles for the first videos, you know, it kind of tilted some people. And it kind of, it makes sense because it's just not a word, you know, miracle. So I think just, you know, starting talking better is definitely something that helped my, my content, I believe. Are there other things about the content itself, like the way you structure things or the way you present your, your arguments? Like, did, did you feel yourself getting better at these things over the years in terms of producing higher quality content? I mean, I'm definitely playing better. Like, I obviously got a, became a better player through the years. Like, you know, I was worse back in the days, even, even in Legacy. So right now, maybe, you know, my, 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 my play skill become better and I just make better videos. Of course, you know, I still make plenty of mistakes because I try to play as fast as possible as well as being an entertainer and stuff like that. So I see like miss lines and stuff like that. But I think I might just play better than before for sure. I see. And what has been some of the most positive feedback you have received on your content, whether it's the videos or the, or the articles? Definitely the fact a lot of people just thank me so much for keeping their legacy love alive. Because you might see now with like Star City Game cutting off legacy tournaments, a lot of people are just losing some faith with the format. Despite legacy is still like super popular throughout in the whole world and it's on, uh, you know, let's say uh, on uh, on Magic Online, but even like in events, not only there's like GP in two weeks, but like there's four seasons tournaments, Nebraska's war in Italy. So like there's like super big events. So Legacy is like very alive, but a lot of people maybe go like, you know, I don't have a local game store, but I do have, you know, some dual lands. And the fact that you keep on playing Legacy and I watch you makes me want to keep them and maybe sometimes go to Legacy events. And still, even if I don't own any card, I still love Legacy and watching you still playing the format is like, you know, it's like if I play it. So a lot of people thank me for being still able to get into Legacy despite they just can't anymore for various reasons. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, you're keeping people's uh, enjoyment of the game alive, and that's actually a really good effect, I think. Yeah, very often, just even like in Richmond, I always meet people that tell me that they got into Legacy because of me and because of like X video and stuff like that. Super fun, super fun fact. I was playing Legacy side event in GP Las Vegas, and I got paired against Monorite Storm, all right? Monorite Storm is a, is a pretty like tier three deck, let's say. It just goes off with like... It's like, it goes off with Rituals, but then it wins with like Azeroth, Undying Fury, Bonus Round. It's like a very fringe deck, okay? And I was very happy to see that going off because it was one of my, I remember one of my videos uh, from the beginning and I was like, wow, I really love this deck. You know, I, I remember I made some videos with it and the guy goes, yes, that's how I learned about the deck and how I started. And I was like, wow, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, you got this guy to start playing this deck or maybe even Legacy, right? Exactly, exactly. And it was, it was great because he just got defeated very easily, but I was just so happy, so happy to see like this guy going off. And like then he told me that. I was like, wow, you know. Awesome. Just kind of looking forward, Andrea. You know, you have mentioned that you want to play Magic even when you're 60. And I've also seen an interview where you said you don't really want to do anything else other than Magic. It's the greatest game ever. You don't really want to have a plan B. So with this being such a successful year, you, you talk about wanting to, to get into worlds and things like that. How do you see yourself? How do you see your magic career? Let's call it a career because it is uh, for the next three to five years, if you think a little bit longer term. Yeah, I have a person that I want to become when I'll be ordered, and he's Brian Keebler. Brian Keebler is a magic hall of famer, still goes to PTs. He went 11-5 in Richmond. Uh, and he's also a super popular commentator and streamer. And that's kind of what I want to do. I want to be a, in the future, just keep on sticking with magic, you know, playing the game, stream, and also just be like a famous and um, how do you say, what's the word? Like just renowned, renowned uh, commentator. Personality, and just personality maybe, right? Exactly. Like, you know, renowned personality, like like Brian Keebler. That's definitely the, the, the person that I want to become. Excellent. I think you're on the way there, but the one thing that you, you mentioned is the commentary. Are, are there things that you're specifically going to try to do for commentary in, in the magic space? I mean, I, I stream every day 
and uh, I make legacy videos. I think this is very much commentator. Like, oh yeah, that's like commentator thing. Like you just commented my game, and uh, also I did some commentary for a PTQ in Rome, and I really liked it. People at home also liked it. I think it was a pretty good experience. Very cool. Is there something that you would tell the younger Andrea Mangucci if you had a time machine and you can go back in time five years? If you could do that, what would you tell him? Honestly, not much, not much. I'm I'm very happy with all the choices that I've, I've made so far. I think it's it's all good, Andrea. You'll you'll be great. <laughs> you'll be fine, right? Okay, that's good. That's good. Good attitude. The final question I have for you is what would you tell the future Andrea five years into the future? Let's say you're holding on to a thought or a belief right now today. Is there something that you would tell Andrea five years into the future so that he would not forget something that you're holding on to right now? Yeah. Never sell any pieces of the power nine. Just keep it always. <laughs> That's a great answer. Andrea. It was just a pleasure talking to you today. I felt like I got a little bit of a better idea of who you are as a person. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, James, for the interview. And that is it for this episode of Humans of Magic. If you like what you hear and you want to support the project, please visit humansofmagic.com. From there, you can learn more about my Humans of Magic book, and you can join the mailing list to win a free copy of that book. So please go to humansofmagic.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.